All right, friends, let's rock and roll. Today is Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. Man, we are deep in July. By the way, I need to mention, we just released information yesterday about three films to add to our Jewish summer cinema. Well, okay. One film that's a makeup session that's, that's making up for the rain out that we had uh, at the last uh, Jewish summer cinema, the one on Fiddler on the Roof. And then we have two more films that are really fantastic. These indie um, Israeli films that are really, really amazing and heartwarming and just all sorts of fun. So join us for that. Take a look at the information. Jewish Summer Cinema all on the website. Of course, tonight we have archaeology. But right now, right now we are gathered here for the purposes of daily power parsha. Um, wait, hold on. Did I hear something? Somebody, something? No. Okay. I'm just hearing things, which is also okay. You know, once in a while, you hear things. Okay, I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump in. Torah reading for Devarim, which is the first portion of the book of Deuteronomy, a.k.a. Devarim as well. Now, what did we do yesterday? So yesterday we started the fifth book of the Torah, and I explained something that I think is really important. The context of the fifth book of Torah is critical. Otherwise, the timelines don't make sense. The narrative doesn't make sense. So here's what you need to know. I mentioned this yesterday, but here's what you need to know to make this study as effective as possible. And that is that the entire book of Deuteronomy takes place over the span of 37 days. The last 37 days of the life of Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's his last speech. His final speech is plural to the Jewish people, gathers them each and every day, day in, day out, to tell them, to, encourage, to speak to them, encourage them, give them some rebuke, tell them where they failed in the past or where they could correct in the future, what they should do when they get into the land, reviewing historical events, reviewing important mitzvot, talking about upcoming mitzvot and upcoming milestones in their lives without him. Either way, imagine a leader, imagine a parent, imagine anyone in a position where they love someone and they know that their time on earth is limited and they just want to give as much information and convey as much as possible, this is the book of Deuteronomy. And so you'll see that he talks about what's happening now. He talks about what will happen soon when they get into Israel without him. He talks about what happened 40 years ago when they first left Egypt. It's the whole book of Deuteronomy goes back and forth between past, present, and future. But it all makes sense when you understand that it's from the first person. It's Moses speaking to the Jewish people. So now we quickly reviewed the first major event was um, the giving of the Torah at Sinai that, that, that Moses recalls 40 years later, at, at the end of the 40 years, Moses recalling what happened 40 years prior at Sinai. And then God said, go from, from, the, from around the mountain and go embark on the journey to the land of Israel. And then they got to Kadesh Barnea. And here is where Moses, at the beginning of today's reading, Moses recalls what happened 40 years prior with the sin of the spies. Now, we just studied the sin of the spies, I don't know, a month or two ago in the, in the chronological context of the Torah. Here is Moses, at the end of the 40 years, reminiscing about that seminal moment, that sin, that derailed progress for 39, 40 years. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, this is verse 22. Donna, did I do a good recap? Ish? Yes? Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Huh? 
You set the scene. Set the scene. Now, but one more thing. Moses in this book speaks in the first person. I spoke to God, God spoke to me, I spoke to you, you spoke to me, speaking to the people, right? Whereas the first four books of Torah are written from a third party narrator. God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to God, the people complained to Moses, Moses spoke to the people. It's like, so who's, who's the narrator? A third party. But the book of Deuteronomy, most of it is in, in, in the first person. So let's do this together inside. This line is not in this last book, and God spoke to Moses. Exactly. You have a little bit of that at the end, after Moses finishes the 37-day speech, and God says, all right, time to pass away, basically. So then you'll have, once again, that narrator kind of saying, God spoke to Moses, saying, etc. But most of the book, like 85, 90 or plus percent of this book, is Moses speaking, and you'll see it reflected in the language. Verse 22, and because we're continuing the narrative of the sin of the spies. We just started, right? The Jews um, left Egypt, they got to Torah, and then they traveled and they were supposed to go into Israel. And all of you approached me. You, people, approached me, Moses. Again, Moses is doing the talking. And you said to me, let us send men ahead of us so that they will search out the land for us and bring us back word by which route we shall go up and to which cities we shall come. Pretty innocent, pretty innocent. It's so interesting. Because we read about the story from the third-party narrator. This is how Moses, right, recalls it to the people that asked him to send those spies in the first place. So he said, you came to me 40 years ago to say, send men ahead so that they can search the land and bring us back word. Which route we shall go up? Which cities we shall come? In other words, like, which cities we should approach first? And Moses says, full disclosure, the matter pleased me. I thought it was a good idea. So I took, again, you will not find the first four books of Torah written like this. The matter pleased me. I took 12 men for, from you. Who? It's always a, th this is the fifth book. It's, oh, and by the way, the Rebbe says, I didn't mention this yesterday, but I should mention it now. That what is the, the deeper meaning of the fifth book? Is that you and I need to own Torah. In other words, it's like the first four books are a little bit detached. Book five is from Moses' perspective, his vantage point, in his own words almost. And so the message is, we also need to transition to integrate Torah so that it becomes our words, our thoughts, our, um, it, so that we own it, it becomes ours in a good way. So the matter pleased me, says Moses, so I took 12 men from you, one man for each tribe, and they, the spies, or the men, turned and went up the mountain. And they came to the valley of Eshkol, that was where the grapes were, and spied it out. They spied it out. I don't know if that's good English, but that's the way the translation is. They spied it out, and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands. We remember the story, right? We read it as it happened. But now it's 40 years later, Moses retells it. And the, these spies brought it down to us, brought us backward, and said, what did the spies say in Moses' recollection? The land the Lord our God is giving us is good. So the spies said the land is good, but you... You people did not want to go up, and you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. Now, one second. It seems like he's giving the spies a pass, right? So the spies came back and said the land is good, and you panicked. You guys panicked. Well, it's not them, it's their parents, but I mean the people, right? But the spies did say some disparaging things about the land, like, yeah, it's too difficult, it's too hard, blah, blah, blah. 
Nonetheless, it seems that Moses, at this, in this re- retelling of the story, focuses more on the collective panic of the people, collective rebellion, and not specifically pointing fingers only at the ten spies that kind of led them along that path. Okay, and look at 27. This is really important. I want to share some insights on this one. Moses tells the people, you murmured in your tents. You don't think I knew? You were murmuring. What's murmuring? Blasphemy. Not, not blasphemy. Um, Lushen hurrying. Is that a word? Can I make it into a verb? You were saying Lushen hara. You were lushing. You were, you were uh, slandering. You were disparaging. You were murmuring. And you said the following. Because the Lord hates us, he took us out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Look at that. You know why God took us out of Egypt? Because he hates us. And, and why? Why? Because he hates to take us out of the land of Egypt. To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to exterminate us. Moses says, I know what you were saying. When the spies came back and they said that, oh, the land, the cities are fortified, the land is strong, the giant, there are giants there. You guys were panicking. You were murmuring in your tents. And that murmur is, again, slander. And you said, God hates us. And that's why he took us out of Egypt. So miracles, salvation, exodus, freedom, no. Slaughter. To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to exterminate us. God hates us and he wants to exterminate us. Can you imagine? Now, of course, we encountered all this before when we read it in the Torah portion of Shlach in the book of Numbers. But here Moses adds this idea of murmuring in your tents. And it's interesting. The Rebbe points out a a powerful lesson. Something can be the greatest act of love, but if somebody is a pessimist, or if somebody has whatever agenda they have, they can take the greatest blessing. They can take... Can you guys hear me? Did I cut out for a second? It's okay. Now we can. Now what was the last thing you heard me say? We didn't miss that much. Okay. Basically, the Rebbe says that a person could take the greatest blessing and interpret it as a curse. Somebody could do the greatest favor and you could say, ah, I know why they're doing that. Oh, you think they're nice? They're not nice. It really because they want a conspiracy theory. This is conspiracy theory. Right? This conspiracy theory is that God took us out to exterminate us. That's the conspiracy. What's the truth? God loves you. He's taking you out to give you freedom. Gave you the Torah. He's going to bring it to the promised land. So what? You found out the cities are strong and the people are giants and, 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 and it's going to be difficult? Good. Mazel tov. What do you think it was going to be? A, a, a walk in the park? You thought it was going to be easy? A piece of cake? It's going to be difficult. But Hashem is with you and He promised it's going to, be, it, it's going to work out. So what's the problem? You're panicking. But because you panic, you say, it's not my problem that I'm panicking. Hashem hates us. It's deflection. You with me? It's like, the problem's not with me. The problem's with God. Look what God's doing to us. The whole thing is a fabrication. The whole thing is a lie. The point of this, and the point of what I'm trying to say is, how easy it is for a person to convince themselves of something that is 100% categorically a lie. But this made complete sense to them, murmuring in the tents. It made 100% sense. Hashem hates us, trying to kill us, and that's it.
and the whole thing, fake news. Verse 20, yes. So, is the whole purpose of Devarim, so up to before this, you know, Moses was trying his best to be the mouth, not in a negative way, the mouthpiece, you know, for God, doing what God wanted. And now he knows it's kind of like at a, looking from our level, if someone knows they're on their deathbed, then they're going to summon their, those that are close to them and give them life's lessons. Yes, 100%. no longer be here. Is that... 100%, yes. And so he goes, he talks about the past and the mistakes to say, don't do that again. He talks about some very important mitzvot to emphasize it. And like, you will, uh, you probably remember from last year, like again and again and again, don't serve idols, don't serve idols, don't serve idols. You're going to go into the land, it's going to be tempting, don't serve idols. So there's certain things that, that, that are thematically repeated again and again and again. But yes, that's exactly what it is. So typically, right in the first 40 years of his leadership, it was like God told Moses to say this. So he said that, right? He got, he's, he's repeating. Now Moses is speaking of his own. That's why our sages say that the fifth book of Torah is written in the words of Moshe. Not that he, not that he you know, wrote his own book, but it's, it's in his, it's his, his expressions to his people. His heart. His heart. His heart. Exactly. So let's continue. Verse 28. Where shall we go up? Where shall we go up? The people said. Our brothers, again, still recalling the spy saga. Our brothers have discouraged us, saying a people greater and taller than we. Giants. Cities great and fortified up to the heavens. And we have even seen the sons of Anakim there, sons of giants. So the people, I know you guys, you guys panicked. So Moses says, and I said to you, do not be broken or afraid of them. I told you, don't, no need to fear. Why not? Because verse 30, the Lord, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. So yeah, it's a formidable enemy, sure. But who says you have to fight? God will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes. I'm not telling you something that's an article of faith. I'm not telling you something that you need to believe in, that you need to suspend your rational judgment and kind of, you know, take a leap of faith to believe in. I'm telling you something that you saw before your very eyes. You saw what God did in Egypt for you. He's going to do the same thing again. No need to panic. And in the desert, you want more proof. In the desert, where you've, now, you've seen now how the Lord your God has carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you have gone until you've come to this place. Moses says that I, again, this is all the words of Moses, what telling the people 40 years later what he told the people 40 years prior. So again, Moses is there with an audience, right? So just picture, picture the scene. There's Moses. There's an audience. Moses saying, 40 years ago, this is what I was telling you guys. No need to be afraid. Look what God did to Egypt. You saw it with your own eyes. Look what he's done for you in the desert. Again, 40 years ago, up until that point. Look what God has done in the desert. God has carried you like a man carries his son. You know, I, um, Let's see if there's a Rashi on this one. Let's take a look. Okay, take a look at this. Um, as a man carries his son, Rashi says, 
as I explained regarding the verses and the angel of God who went before the camp of the Israelites traveled and went behind. This may be compared to one who is traveling on, the, on a road with his son in front of him. If bandits come to kidnap the son, he removes him from in front of him and places him behind him. Now, there's an etc. over there. Because what, what basically what it is, is there's a medrash that Rashi is quoting. Let me just toggle Rashi off for a second, because otherwise it makes it a little bit harder to read. So, essentially, there's a medrash that says that imagine a person's walking with his son, with his child, and there's danger from, that comes from in front. So the kid walks in front of him. There's danger approaches from in front, he puts his kid behind him. Danger approaches from behind, he puts the kid in front of him. Danger approaches from both sides, he puts the kid on his shoulders, right? Basically, either way, the parent is protecting the child. And, and Moses says, God did the same for you. Or God is doing the same for you. Again, 40 years prior, this is what Moses was saying. I, God is doing the same for you. And God, is, God brought you with his protection to this place. But regarding this matter, says Moses, you do not believe the Lord your God. Right? You don't believe. You believe that God, you saw, you don't, it's not a matter of belief. You, you saw that God destroyed Egypt. You saw that God has eliminated all enemies and all challenges in the way thus far. But about conquering the land of Israel, you don't believe. You don't believe in God. And you don't believe in God. What, what kind of God? Verse 33, the God who goes before you on the way to search out a place for you in which to encamp and fire at night to enable you to see on the way you should go and in a cloud by day. Moses says, how can you guide? This is again Moses 40 years later saying, this is what I told you 40 years ago. How can you not believe in God? God has demonstrated his ability to get rid of obstacles, get rid of challenges. God is actively taking care of you. He's literally going before you to, 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 to prepare the roads, to prepare the encampment, emerging or, or manifesting a fire at night, a cloud by day, etc. So what's there not to believe in? What's there, what's, what's there, why the panic? Well, the people still panicked. Moses continues, reminiscing what happened four years prior. And the Lord heard, this, heard the sounds of your words. God heard. God heard your words. What words? We can't do it. We're going to die. God hates us. That's why he took us out of Egypt to kill us. And God became angry and he swore. He promised, saying, If any of these men of this evil generation sees the good land which I swore to give your forefathers. Now this word if means none, essentially. Like, if I am God, then none of these men will see. That's kind of the language. You don't, the translation is a literal translation here. I'm not sure why it's being so literal, but what it means is not if they will see the land, but it means they will not see the land. Who will not see the land, the promised land? Any of these men of this evil generation. They will not see the good land, which I swore to give to your forefathers. Except, which I swore to give your forefathers. Except, one exception. I mean, really two exceptions. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Caleb and Jephunneh, he will see it. And I will give him the land he trod upon and to his children because he has completely followed the Lord. What does it mean completely follow the Lord? It means that he was one of the 12 spies that did not sow fear and panic. Verse 37, Moses continues, speaking to the generation that will enter the land. Reminiscing what happened 40 years prior. The Lord was also angry with me because of you. 
saying, neither will you go there. Moses says, you know why I'm not going in with you guys? Because 40 years ago, this is what happened. And at that point, 40 years ago, God said, Moses, you're also not going to go in. But Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he will go there, strengthen him. That means give him the strength as the leader, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. In other words, he will be the leader that leads them into the promised land. What we have here is, and that concludes today's reading, it's really narrative-driven, and really the story, we all know the story at this point very well. We've covered the story numerous times. We just covered it a month or two ago in the Torah portion of Shlach when it is recorded chronologically in Torah. Here, 40 years later, Moses reminisces. And it's clear what the message is. Right? Even without going to, read, to, to tomorrow's reading and kind of wrapping up the conversation, it's clear. He's not bringing up old you know, drama for the sake of old drama. He's bringing up the past for a very important point. To talk about the power of faith and, or, or the, the, the necessity to have faith and the disaster that results when we have a lack of faith. Right? When we believe in God, we believe that God gives us the strength, nothing, nothing can't be done. In other words, there's no obstacle that gets in the way. When we believe that God is not with us, or God forbid that God hates us and is leading us into a disaster, then there's nothing we can do. Right? If God is with us, there's nothing we can't, cannot do. If God is not with us, if God hates us, then we're doomed. And Moses is reminding the people, you're going to face more challenges. You're going to face this challenge after I pass away. You're going to go into Israel and have to conquer the nations. And it's going to be your choice. Do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that God's not with you? Do you believe that God loves you or do you believe that God hates you? It's a simple question. But it's a matter of your belief, your faith. You want to know the objective truth? God is with you. The objective truth, God loves you. The question is, do you see that? I mean, how often in life do we get in our own way because we lack the confidence? We tell ourselves we can't do this, we can't do that because we don't think that we can succeed. And why not? Because who am I to succeed? Right? How could I succeed? Uh, Who says I have the ability? The answer is, Hashem said. Hashem gave you the ability. Hashem put opportunities in front of you and that means that you can do it. And the more we believe that we can, the more confident we are, the more we will succeed. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we think we can, we can do it. What was that story, the kid's story with the train? I think I can, yes. Wasn't that the, um, who remembers that story? I think I can, I think I can, yes. The little train, the little train that could. Yes, the little train that could, yep. The little train that could, yeah. And that's exactly the idea here. It's the confidence. But it's not a belief in oneself completely. It's a belief that God has given me the ability to do it. This is what we might call God. You know, there's like self-confidence, but then there's God-confidence, right? Self-confidence is, I think I can do it. Who says? But God-confidence is, I think that God has given me the ability to overcome all the challenges that he has placed before me. Because I don't believe that God would give me a challenge that I could not handle. 
There's a really powerful story that I want to share with you. A story that takes place with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Somebody once came to him with a very big uh, spiritual challenge, like a really big test of faith. And he was, at the, he was on the verge of not passing this test, of making the wrong choice. Now, who am I to say what's right and wrong? I'm just saying from a spiritual place, it would have been the wrong choice. And he comes to the Rebbe as kind of like a last resort to see if the Rebbe might be able to talk him out of it. Or he, he was so conflicted, but he was leaning toward the spiritually negative choice. And without getting into the details of what it was, because that's not really important, what's important is the Rebbe's approach. The man came to visit the Rebbe and he, and he laid out the, the issue, he laid out the challenge, he laid out the temptation, he laid out his intended path of action, which was not spiritually ideal, Jewishly ideal. And the Rebbe said the following words in response. The Rebbe said, I'm, I, I'm jealous of you. That was the last thing he thought the Rebbe would say. Imagine you tell, some, you tell a, a great leader, a great rabbi, a, a Rebbe, you know, that this, that, and the other is the challenge presenting itself, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to jump into that negative choice. And the, and the Rebbe's response is, I'm jealous of you. What does that mean? He said, he was shocked. The Rebbe said, let me explain. We have a tradition that God only gives a person a challenge that God has also given them the ability to overcome. Otherwise, it would simply be cruel. And we don't believe in a cruel God. So if God gives a person a challenge, it means He's also already given them the tools to solve the challenge. He's given them the ability, the strength to overcome. Now, whether the person knows it or not, okay. Whether or not the person has accessed those abilities prior, <coughs> perhaps not. But they have the ability to overcome the challenge. Otherwise, God would not have presented that challenge. So the Rebbe said to this, to this young man, he said, look, the fact that you have this challenge, a challenge that I've never had, there's a temptation that this guy had that the Rebbe said, I never had this temptation. It means that God did not give me the power to overcome this temptation, which is why, thank God, I've never been tempted with it. Because if I were tempted with it, without the, the tools, I would be toast. Again, I'm paraphrasing. The fact that Hashem, that God Almighty, has given you this temptation means that Hashem has given you a, a, a tremendous power, just a fierce ability to overcome said fierce challenge. Fierce challenge comes with a fierce power to overcome. So the Rebbe said, I'm jealous of you because <laughs> you have gifts that I don't have. But with those gifts come challenges. It's a, it's a perspective. And it's 100% true. It's 100% true. It's a, the message is that when we face the challenges, we have to have the confidence that we have the tools to overcome. So the Jews are positioned at the border of Israel 40 years prior. And they say to Moses, let's send men. Check out the land. Which cities to go into? How are the people? What's going on? And Moses says, sure. 
And the spies come back and they say, it's going to be, it's beautiful land, but it's going to be very difficult. People say, oh, that's it. We're done. We're finished. It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. And Moses says, I told you then. And I'm telling you now. Don't diminish God's power. Don't limit God. Don't create God in your image. What? Because you're afraid. God's afraid. Because you have limited ability. God has limited ability. Don't create God in your limited image. It's like, we have a box, so God is also going to fit into that box. First of all, not true. Second of all, it's a chutzpah, right? Don't fit God into your box. God is infinite. God can do anything. God has given you, if God promises, if God sends you into that land, God has given you the ability to overcome those challenges. You know, whoever says the Torah is outdated just hasn't studied it or studied it properly. Because this idea is as relevant on Tuesday, July 13, 2021 than it's ever been. Because all of us face challenges. All of us stand at crossroads. All of us face those doubts, those self-doubts that plague us. All of us feel from time to time absolutely overwhelmed. And it's at times like these that the Torah reminds us right here, the opening portion of Deuteronomy, opening section of Deuteronomy, opening chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, that yes, you have the ability, and yes, God says, I have put you in this place to be a conqueror, to be a warrior, to do what you need to do, and to overcome. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. But, you know, we never, no one ever promised that. No one ever said, you know, when we were born, by the way, this is going to be fun. was never a promise. We were never guaranteed fun. We were never guaranteed ease. We were never guaranteed uh, vacation in life. What were we guaranteed? First things we did when we were born, first thing we did was we cried. Welcome to the world. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. We're going to face challenges, new situations, adjustments. We have to know that God is with us. The more we know that God is with us, the more we will overcome the challenges. So I need to share with you one more thing, and then we're going to close it out today. It's a sh- short reading, straightforward. The word emuna, which means faith. Emuna is also related to the word umnot, which means um, training or apprenticing. You know, like, um, let's say, uh, an artist apprentices by another artist. You know, there's an apprenticeship or um, a shoemaker or a silversmith or something that's an artist in jewelry making, right? You might apprentice under a master jewelry maker, etc. So the the idea of faith, emuna, according to the, the linguists and the mystics, is not so much, yeah, I believe in God. It's more of a training. It's like, you know, what's the point of training? The point of training is you do something enough times, right? You put enough hours, enough repetitions that eventually it becomes second nature, right? You can do it with your eyes closed. Whatever that action is, you've done it so many times, you can do it with your, with your eyes closed. Emuna means we train ourselves. It's not, oh, I believe in God. Talk is cheap and it doesn't mean anything. Because somebody says, I believe in God, when crisis hits, they're going to panic. It's not, I believe in God. It's what am I doing today to live with my faith in God? 
Now what do I do when I'm in a crisis? Training happens on a daily basis. No one woke up and said on the morning of the Olympics, I think I'm going to run track today and win a world record. That's not how it happens. It happens through years of training at 4 a.m., right? That's how it works. Day in, day out, consistent training. So everyone wants to live a life where when crisis strikes, that they have the faith to carry through. Everyone wants that. But there's no magic there. You can't just turn it on when needed. How does it work? Emunah is umnot. It's a matter of training. It's a matter of practice. Getting oneself used to seeing God in the everyday. Talking to God in prayer. Doing a mitzvah because Hashem, because God wants us to do it. It's the little things we do to make God real in our lives that pays off when we face the challenges. So, when we face a big challenge and we panic and we feel like we can't and we feel like we won't and we feel like there's no way. To say at that point, oh wait, hold on. Let me think. God loves me. God has given me this for me. God wants the best for me. God has given me the strength. It's going to be hard. I'll be honest. It's going to be hard to pull that out in the moment. But if we live each and every day conscious, aware, dedicated, right? God is real. I pray to God. I do mitzvahs. I, I do what God wants. I study God's Torah. And we think about God on a daily basis. And we see God, divine providence, wherever we go, right? It rained on a Monday. Somehow we saw God in that, right? Somehow. If we can see God in the everyday, we can see God also in the challenge. And so, my friends, this is one takeaway from the second reading, sorry, the third reading of the Torah portion of Devarim, the idea of seeing God in everything, including the challenge. And that carrying us through the difficult times. All right, thank you for joining me today. Any questions, comments before we formally close out? Um, you know, so one could just look if you know, we weren't studying it this way, just objectively, right? It seems on its face that Moses is complaining, you know, about the bad behavior right. of the Jews. And then what about, you know, God did destroy the world once and, you know, the flood. I mean, he says he won't do it again, but. That's the thing, you know, with these, in a sense, is, and then he gets very, very mad at the Jewish people along the way. So, I mean, right. there's, there's some mixed messages. So, that's what I think is, it comes out that it's even more challenging, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, there's a way to study Torah consistently through where you see Moses in the best light, right? Where even when he was complaining, even when he got angry, even when whatever, there's still a way to learn it, to twist it where it's like, you know, you, you, you frame it in Moses, the loving leader. There's that kind, there's that, there's the, there's a lens by which we can read the stories like that. But look, I, you know, there's, there's a simple meaning. There's more allegorical readings. There's mystical readings. There's different ways to read it. But yes, there is a way to read it where, you know, things haven't always been great in this relationship between Moses and the people. But one thing we do know that Moses, when it's certainly in the big moments, Golden calf, you know, sent the spies time. He always went to bat for the Jewish people, always went to God and said, you got to forgive them, right? And that sort of thing. 
And here at the end of his life, the message, even as he rebukes them, you know, bringing up some of the negative past, it's all about moving forward. It's all about, okay, what are the lessons that we can learn from this so that we don't make that mistake, so that you, we don't make that mistake again. And I think that's, that's healthy. Because to pretend that nothing bad happened is to set up a situation to perhaps repeat the, the mistakes of the past, right? To, to dig too deeply into the past is to not see the future. So I think you need, you need a balance. You need to look in the past, but also look to the future, which I think, as we'll see throughout this book, I think Moses does a pretty good job at that. Um, but yeah, it definitely is looking back and at the uncomfortable times. Learning lessons, right? Learning moments, growing moments. I heard a line recently from Dina Schusterman. There was, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic whatever. Now we talk about post-traumatic growth. What's the growth that we can have from the trauma, right? And that's the healthiest. True love, right? Because even on his, he's trying to end his life by with giving positivity himself to the to the people even though saying because he he sees he sees that they've had you know what they've done but he still wants them to yeah and i think it's also important to remember that this is not the same generation these are the kids so the generation that panicked and said oh we can't do it god hates us they've passed away in the desert moses is speaking to the kids and he's clearly not berating them because that wasn't them or their parents so, the, so why is he bringing it up? He's bringing it up for the, for the positive lessons. You know, you got to look at the past and say, okay, these are the mistakes. This is where we need to correct. We have to build our faith. We have to trust better. We have to really build our faith and trust in God. And, and then when adversity hits, we can take it in a stride, right? It's kind of like... Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Say like a movie, right? Where you know that no matter what happens in the movie, you can walk out of the theater, right? It'll be okay. So, you know. All right. Um, That's it for today. Thank you for joining. Um, Quick announcement tonight. Archaeology. Get your boots on. Get your gloves on. And join us online for the the big dig. These are, this is the... Newsletter yes, it was in Federation Newsletter. I saw that. And it was also in the Creative Loafing. That's like the local Anta kind of weekly thing. Creative Loafing, top five for the day. So we cracked the top five. So join us tonight. So listen, if Creative Loafing and Federation thumbs up it, and how do I know this all, by the way? Sandrine, forward me all the emails. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not necessarily plugged in always to what's out there, but Sandrine sent me this morning the forwards from these, uh, from these email lists, which is fantastic. Actually, Federation, I do get. Anyway, bottom line is, join us. I think um, uh, most of you are signed up for it already. Um, so if you're not yet, jump in. If you are, awesome. I already sent out the information this morning with the Zoom link. If you know people that might enjoy it, send them the, the link online to the webpage so that they can sign up for it as well and get the link. And uh, hope to see you at 8 p.m. For the, for the big dig. All right. We'll see you, see you tonight. See you tomorrow. And don't forget, tomorrow night, Torah Studies, in-person and Zoom hybrid. That's Wednesday Yay. night. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. 
All right, Sandrine and Donna and Sarah and Ray, good to see you Thank all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Pleasure, pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. All right, we'll see you guys. Take care. Bye.